Gentlemen, we begin our Man Up course with the biblical doctrine of male leadership in the home. So, the context in which we will discuss biblical manhood today will be marriage. Why? Because that is where the Bible begins the discussion. But, this discussion, this this biblical doctrine applies to you as a man, whether you are married or not. As an unmarried man, you need to hear these truths, and you need to start preparing yourself and praying for the grace of God to equip you now to lead your wife and kids when that day comes. Nothing could be more important, guys. You see, marriage was created to image Christ and the church. And as men, our leadership in our homes reflects Christ's leadership in the church. So let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis 2, verse 23. If you have this Bible right here, it's on page 2. Genesis 2, 23. Genesis 2, 23 says the following. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now, flip to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. If you, if you have this Bible here, it's on page 635. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Therefore, a man shall, cle- shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's a direct quote from Genesis 2.24 in Ephesians 5.31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And here we go, verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So this mystery is profound. What mystery? The mystery that marriage was created to image Christ in the church. That's why when the Bible talks about, when God talks about biblical manhood, he starts with marriage. That's why young men that are not yet married, single men, teenage men, you've got to begin thinking about it now. Because the mystery is profound. At the very beginning, man and woman, and that's how manhood is going to be defined in marriage, is, is, is imaging something far greater, and that is Christ and the church. Christ in the church. And, and this mystery, this, this mystery of marriage being, being imaged by Christ in the church, it's for this reason, guys, that the role of men in marriage is under such attack and distortion today. The very gospel, sound doctrine, our souls are at stake. And it is for this reason that we must recover biblical manhood in the home for the sake of the gospel. So let's lean forward. Let's pray. Let's learn. Let's receive from God His truth of how He created us men to image Him. Guys, we're the ones who image Christ in the marriage. Is this not reason enough for us to study hard and pray hard and work hard to image Him properly in our homes? As a matter of fact, I just want to pray again. I just want to pray again. Lord, it it is enough. It is enough for me 
to image you in my home. It's enough for these men to lean forward. It's enough for us to fight for this as we go against the grain, as we go against uh, the very flow of the river of thinking in this country, in this world, really from the beginning of time, that would distort the role of the man in marriage, distort the role of the woman in marriage. Lord, your gospel is at stake, so we're asking you for grace right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. So why is this so important? Our society, in our society, the godly male role model is diminishing. Now let me say that's not the case at Palm Vista. It's certainly not the case with you men. Thank you for being here, men. And for those men who have brought your sons, thank you for being a godly role model to your sons. And sons, sometime tonight... Thank your dad for loving God and bringing you here and for being in your life. Sadly, that's rare in our culture today. So let me ask you guys a question. How many of you men grew up with a godly role model? Or how many of you men was it your father? Oh, that's, that's, that's unusual. I mean, divorce alone in America, 50% takes dad out. See, the American male is diminishing today. So many men grow up in a feminized world where dad is largely absent physically due to the high divorce rate. Or if he's there physically, he's absent mentally and emotionally. Men, we've got to fight that. So, so, so that's the picture of a man today in our culture. Try finding a strong man, a strong husband, a strong father, a responsible male in primetime TV or the movies. You will be hard-pressed, hard-pressed to do so. What you will find is a man who is probably not married, not responsible, who manipulates and uses women. A man who has never grown up. The tragedy of the American man is that he is aimless, purposeless, bored, lazy, he allows ads to dictate what is success. He has no purpose larger than himself, no vision beyond his personal happiness and ease. He remains a perpetual adolescent. Some become bullies, punks, thinking that this is masculinity. And that's particularly prevalent in South Florida. And some of you may have been bullies and punks. Because, because you're trying to be a man. And so being a man is defined by my physicality, maybe what I look like, the fact that I can be violent with anybody and everybody. It just, it, 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 it's understandable. Guys are trying to find what God created us to be, which is men, but we've been feminized. And, 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 and so we're trying to find something. Or we pour ourselves into hobbies Sports is great. You know, I love sports. But it's not a substitute to image God and biblical manhood. Video games. Anything. Anything. Why? Because God made us. God made us to conquer. God made us to have to, to, to work hard. But we've lost our way. So we guys must provide a biblical, gospel-centered answer to this picture of a man. And that answer starts with God's plan for glory, for glory for man, in creation. 
And it's made possible by Christ who redeems us back to the glory we forfeited in the fall. And so my prayer for us in these next 10 months is that, is that we, you and I, would be captured by God's call on us as men. So let's start at the beginning. Turn to Genesis 1, page 1. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some here. I'd love for you to have one. So if you need one, anybody need a Bible? Okay. All right, Genesis 1. Let's, let's start at the beginning. What is biblical manhood? How is it defined? How does God define it? We talked at the very beginning. He defines it. He defines it in the context of marriage. But let's begin with Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. Genesis 1.27, please. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food and it was so and God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Genesis 1, 27 to 31 teaches us that men and women are created equal in the image of God. We are equal in worth, men. We are equal in value. We are equal in status before God. Men and women clearly being taught here. And it's, it was good in God's eyes. What does this do? This leaves no room for proud male dominance. We really are punks if we do that. We are not men. That is not biblical masculinity. The fact that you're stronger than a woman and can impose yourself on her, that's not what God would want. That's not imaging God. It's not imaging God. And it leaves no room for selfish male superiority in marriage. And that's a key. Our wives are our equals in God's eyes. As 1 Peter 3, 7 states clearly, they are fellow heirs with us of the grace of life in Jesus Christ. And so, we are equal. Now catch this, but different. We are equal, but different. This is what's been lost. This is what I think men are trying to recapture, is this idea of, I know there's a difference here. I've been made to lead. Our culture says, no, you haven't. We're equal in worth, we're equal in value, and we're equal in roles. And that's what I want to introduce tonight. That is not true. So you can, you, can, you can fall off the cliff, uh, you can fall off the road on either side. On one side is total equality, total egalitarianism, emasculated males who've been effeminized, and we lose the distinction of our roles. Or you can fall off on the other side where you become a bully, a punk, and you dominate, you intimidate because you're bigger and stronger. Both are wrong. Both are wrong. Down the middle, right down the center, is, is we honor women and we, we, they are our equals, but there are different roles. There are different roles. And those different roles, biblically, God started with marriage. That's where he started it. And he started it as part of the created order. And so here's where we start. 
with our teaching on what it means to be a man biblically. See, biblical manhood is defined in the marriage relationship and the differences in roles between men and women. This truth is fiercely contested in today's world. Fiercely contested. My goal tonight is to lay out a biblical case, a biblical case for how God defines manhood and then call you and call me by the grace of God in Christ to live according to God's creation design in our marriages. Now, I I owe a debt of gratitude to many for this teaching, but most immediately from Wayne Grudem's teaching on biblical manhood and womanhood and, and his teaching specifically on why male headship in marriage is biblical. In fact, Dr. Grudem's teaching, not Dr. Grudem's teaching, the Bible's teaching, but articulated through Dr. Grudem, is what I borrow upon heavily in this outline, these ten points of recovering male headship in marriage. Make no doubt about it. The gospel is primary, but underneath the gospel, recovering male headship in marriage is the defining issue of our generation in the church. It's the defining issue. There's no doubt. This is a hill that I will die on. Because it's at the very beginning. Because marriage images Christ in the church. You get this wrong, I believe you get the gospel wrong. Now, now, some would argue, and I'm fine to argue about this, but but it is so important. I think it's it's a perversion of our ability to image God. So, male headship in your marriage present or future, if you're a single man, will determine the health not only of your family, but of the church. Married men, may we provide the kind of biblical example the unmarried men of our church can follow. We are called to lead in our homes, men, and that leadership was ordained by God from creation. It was ordained by God before the fall. And it is what Christ restored after the fall. We must lead in our homes, and to do that, we must be convinced that this is how God created us. So, in your notes, here are ten reasons why male headship in marriage is biblical. So, I invite you to pull the notes out. If any of this, write notes down, ask questions. We're going to have a Q&A time at the end. But let's start with reason number one, why male, why male headship in marriage is biblical. Number one, creation order. Adam was created first, and then Eve. Let's look in our Bibles. Please turn your Bibles to Genesis 2-7. Genesis 2-7, please. Genesis 2-7 says the following. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Jump down, please, to verse 18 of Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Paul then references this timeless creation order 
Please turn to 1 Timothy 2.13. 1 Timothy 2.13, page 643 if you're using this Bible. 1 Timothy 2.13 says the following. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. So reason number one for male headship in marriage is creation order. Creation order. There's two chairs right around the corner here. You guys can set them up and there's one here. So creation order is, is, is point number one of, for male headship in marriage. Point number two for male headship in marriage is representation. Representation. Guys, Adam, not Eve, has a special role in representing the human race. That's a quote from, from uh, Wayne Grudem. Adam, not Eve, has a special role in representing the human race. Please turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 21. 1 Corinthians 15, 21, please. 1 Corinthians 15, 21, page 624 in this paperback. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 says the following. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. There's that representation. It's Adam, not Eve, that has the special role of representing the human race. As in Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And then verse 23, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Second point, representation. This is this, is this biblical teaching of male headship in marriage. Number three, why is male headship in marriage biblical? Point number three, Adam named Eve. Adam named Eve. Let's go back to the beginning of our Bibles, Genesis 2.23. We read this earlier. Let's review it again, Genesis 2.23. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Guys, naming speaks to headship. Naming speaks to headship. Point number four. Fourth point of why male headship in marriage is biblical is that God named the human race man, not woman, or humanity. May, may I make an aside here? There is a translation of the Bible called the TNIV. TNIV. Uh, in the TNIV, what is in vogue is the societal norm, the, the, the vast river that is flowing at full speed in one direction of what is called gender-neutral Bibles. So it is chauvinistic, it is, it is, it is being patriarchal, it is being old-fashioned okay, to have gender-specific words. So when it says he, that would be neuterized, it would be made neutral. The problem is, I believe, A, I think there's a feminist agenda behind that, an egalitarian feminist agenda, but B, it's just not the Bible. And this is one of those classic examples here that God didn't name the human race humanity. He named it man. So let's look at it. Genesis 5, please. Genesis 5. Genesis 5, 1. Page 3. Genesis 5, 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and he named them man. And the Hebrew word there is Adam, Adam, when they were created. 
So, what does that represent? That men are better than women? No, it represents headship. 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 Point five, for biblical, for male headship in marriage, that it's biblical. Point number five, God held Adam primarily responsible for the fall. God held Adam primarily responsible for the fall. God addressed Adam first after the fall. Let's turn to Genesis 3, 8, and 9. Genesis 3, 8, and 9. And they heard the sound of the Lord. Now, they had just uh, disobeyed God. They had just eaten what God said, don't eat, from, from the tree. And, and so the scene is set. Um, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. But the Lord God, God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? Now, in the ESV study Bible... If you look at the notes for Genesis 3.9, you will read the following. ESV Study Bible, Genesis 9, 3.9 notes, where it says, And the Lord God called the woman and said to him, uh, And the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Okay. Both man and you are singular in Hebrew. So it's not a you plural. Where are y'all? Okay. It's a you singular. Where are you? Both man and woman are singular in Hebrew. God thus confronts Adam first, holding him primarily responsible for what happened as the one who is the representative or head. Okay? Who is the representative of the husband and the wife relationship established before the fall. So clearly, God is saying the one who represents this relationship, the head, he's not better than her, it's a different role, is Adam. See, God spoke to Adam as the head of his family and asked him, what happened to your family? And he asks us the same questions this morning, dear friends. Now let me pause here for a second and look you deeply in the eyes. Recently married, yet unmarried, been married for 26, 36. By the way, let's just go ahead. Who's been married over 30 years in here? Anybody? Okay, 26 years is how long I've been married. Anybody been married longer than 26? All right, all right, how many? 30. 30? 28 in November. 28 in November. All right, men, from us to two months? All right. It's been so recent, you're still thinking about it right now. <laughs> Time this thing getting over, Ralph. <laughs> Men, let me look into your eyes and say this. As the representative head of your family, which I believe is the way God's looking at it, He's asking you, what up with your family? And 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 it's our responsibility. Win, lose, or draw, we're on the hook for it. Now, I happen to have the privilege of being trained as an officer in the Army. I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. I thank God for that training. Uh, you may have been trained in other forms of leadership, whatever it is. Any good leader, will a good leader will say this, if I'm leading it, it's my fault. They never throw anybody else underneath the bus. They don't make excuses. It's your fault, pal. Why? Because you're the representative head. God's, God's talking to you about it. And a good leader takes that. A good coach in football. Yeah, it's crazy. A lot of times, you know, they fire the coach, and you can say, well, it wasn't his fault, but it was. 
Now, maybe it's because some idiot messed up and this other guy did, but it's, you're the head. And so when it comes to marriage, God's asking you, what happened to your family? Now, suddenly being the head isn't just you come home, have your wife serve you, you know, whatever you like to drink, your, your preferred beverage, have her, you know, turn on ESPN Sports Center and have your kids be, you know, human remote controls. <laughs> It's, it's about responsibility. Um, I had some good guys train me when I was in the military. I was very glad for that. I remember one guy said, Pino, if you're, if you're in charge, you are the last one to go to bed at night. You are the first one to get up in the morning. You're the last one to eat. All your troops eat first if there's food left in you. Um, Jill and I were watching Braveheart the other night. And... Uh, in this one scene, uh, William Wallace, is played by Mel Gibson, turns to these Scottish lords who they're just in it for the money and the titles and the, you know, the land that they got from, from this British king. And he says, you see your titles as privilege and to, to take from the people, that the people would make you richer. I see the title as a responsibility to serve the people so that they might be free. I'm going to go attack England. So don't do that. You'll risk it all. See, see, how do we see male headship? In a way of superiority and having others serve us or in a way to serve others. We're the ones that lay our lives down. Last to go to bed at night. You know, metaphorically speaking. First up in the morning. See, that's, that's imaging. Where is that today? But see, that's the truth about God. Because that's what Jesus and we represent him in the marriage. And if you're not married yet, you're training to represent him. It's our responsibility, man. It's our responsibility. Number six. Male headship. Male headship in, in marriage. Is it biblical? Yes, I believe it is. Because, number six, it's God's purpose in creation. Listen, God created Eve as Adam's helper. He did not create Adam as Eve's helper. That doesn't mean she's our slave. Do not listen. That is not what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible says. That's a perversion of what is biblical truth. But she was created to be your helper. Think of it this way. You really need a lot of help. Yeah. <laughs> and it's true. Amen. Okay. Now let's look at Genesis 2, 18 to 22. Genesis 2, 18 to 22. Back to that. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now you wonder, why did he just make the helper fit for him at, right at the beginning? Well, he's God. And I believe he's communicating something to us. Man was created first, creation order. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was the same. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. The, a dog is not man's best friend. <clears throat> Otherwise, he would have been satisfied. Something's missing. He doesn't have someone who's fit for him. And here comes God to bless the man. So the Lord God called a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up its place with the flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. God brought your wife to you providentially, to help you. 
And one of the goals for our 10 months together is that we would appreciate them and love them and and, and help them help us and and cover them and lead them so that our homes would reflect, the the kingdom of God would reflect God's creation order. It's not going to be perfect, but that's the goal. And if you're not married yet, the goal is that you would become a man now who is selfless, who learns how to serve, who lays your life down, who learns these things so that you can serve your wife. Because trust me, guys, it's not like one day, the day before you get married, you're an idiot, and the next day you're like this great servant. If you're an idiot going into marriage, you're going to still be an idiot the day after you get married. (laughs) You just have a wife now that's going to let you know what an idiot you are. (laughs) Chris, we're going to heavily edit this thing, okay? I just want you to... (laughs) See where I'm going with this? And so, guys, your sons are watching you. That's how they're learning. Right? For many of us men, maybe we, we saw something. Either we didn't see a dad there at all, <coughs> nothing. Or what we saw wasn't, wasn't very good. But we get to be different, guys. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 11, just to confirm this. Paul carries this over. God carries this over into the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 11, 8 and 9. Page 622 of your paperback Bibles. 1 Corinthians 11, 8 and 9 says the following. 1 Corinthians 11, 8 and 9. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Oh, wait a second. I thought we all were born of, you know, from our mother, right? Well, of course, he's talking creation order here. And then verse 9. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. This does not mean that the woman is inferior. That's a lie. Let me tell you why that's a lie. By the way, it doesn't mean she's inferior. It means she has a different role. Let me tell you why that's a lie. Who is called the helper in, in Scripture? God. Yes, but who else? The Holy Spirit. And we're going to get to this at the end, okay? The Trinitarian argument. But how, how can we say the helper is inferior? Because if you say that the Holy Spirit is somehow inferior to God the Father and God the Son, you are a heretic. We will take you out back and we will burn you in my barbecue. <laughs> a big apple in your mouth. Just rotate you. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. God. The Godhead. They're equal. But they have different roles. Jehovah also is called Great. There you go. So a helper does not mean inferior. It means a different role. You got that? No, go for it. We're also supposed to, we're not supposed to be unequally yoked, which necessarily implies that our wives are equal. Nice. Cal, was your hand up or were you just kind of exercising no, your just, fingers? I'm just going to point out that not only is the Holy Spirit called the helper of Father and the Son. He's called Father. Exactly. So if it implies inferiority, yes. be not just inferiority, be the Father and God and the Son, be to us too. Very good. Very good. Look, we're proud men. We don't need anything to think we're better than everybody and for the world to revolve around us. But if you introduce this doctrine into men that don't understand it biblically, then you can see why some women are so afraid of this and why there's such a fight, even in the church, even for a, an evangelical feminism. This term egalitarianism, which is we're totally equal even in roles. We would believe in complementarianism. We're equal in value and worth before God. 
but we are complementary in our roles. So man, it behooves us to be humble about this. Point seven. Male headship in marriage is a biblical yes. The fall and the curse speak of this. Now, guys, let me just take a moment to parenthetically tell you something. Um, Our wives are going to be receiving some wonderful teaching in just two days. And it's on purpose that you're receiving this now, and our wives are going to be receiving teaching Different teaching, but similar. They're going to be looking at these passages from a woman's perspective, at least one of them. What's our prayer as a leadership team? What should be your prayer? Then in a sense, we're getting a marriage... And by the way, it's great to have so many men here. We're getting a marriage conference, only we're just meeting separately. The guys Wednesday night, the ladies Friday and Saturday. Why? So that we can come home and we can have marriages that image Christ in the church so that the world can see lighthouses. Not dysfunctional houses, but lighthouses. Christ can be preached in our marriages. And for again, for the men that are single, for the men that are, that are in your teens, oh, this is, this is definitely. Okay, so let's look at the fall and the curse, point seven. Let's go to Genesis 3. What we're going to look at in Genesis 3, 6, really 3, 16 and 17, uh, is, are, is going to be the results of the fall. So we're going to look at the curse. Okay? So turn to Genesis 3, 16, and 17. And right off the bat, I want to say this. I believe it's in your notes. The fall distorted roles, but it didn't change them. The fall distorted roles, but it didn't change them. So let's take a look at the text to see how the roles were distorted. Now, careful, careful interpretation. We're going we're gonna to drop into some Hebrew here. We're going to talk about stuff that is, that is contested somewhat, but it's important. It's important. So look at 3.16. Look at 3.16, and it says the following. To the woman he said... Who's the he there? God. Okay, God. So what's happened is God is now pronouncing curses. Because they have disobeyed him. You obey me, you get the blessing. You disobey me, you get the curse. God is a just judge. He's got to do this. He is opposed to sin. Here it comes. Women, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Excuse me. Sorry. 16. Thank you. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Let's stop there. Right? Two burrs announced this week. I'm sure that both of these women would say amen to that curse. <laughs> and then, if you've watched your wife give birth, it is, it is, it'll buckle your knees. I mean, I was there for all my kids' birth. Uh, it, was, it was rough to watch. Two of them, she did not have an epidural. Two, she did. The ones that she didn't, I just was like, give her something. <laughs> give me something. I was like, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a, te- it's, te- it's, it's everything, right? It's a pain. We had to alternate. You know, the wife has one, and we have one, and the wife has one, and we have one. We never have more than three kids. That's it. <laughs> when it came our turn the second time, we said, <laughs> Okay, so, so what do we see in this first curse? We see in this first curse a curse of, of, of in childbirth. We see pain introduced. But it's the second curse to the woman that I want to highlight. Look at this, 16b. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, what does desire for? By the way, who has an ESV study Bible? 
Does it say in the margin desire against? Okay. So let's 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 drop into this English word that's translating the Hebrew word. Have you ever had a word just leave your mind? Teshuka, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. <laughs> the Hebrew word teshuka. Okay? Bless you. <laughs> okay. The Hebrew word teshuka. Now, is is that word desire a desire for or is it a desire against? Desire to dominate. Okay. Mickey weighs in on desire to dominate. Let's let's see if that's true. That word teshuka is used three times in the Hebrew. Old Testament. Old Testament's written in Hebrew. Used three times. Twice in Genesis, once in the Song of Songs. Song of Songs is a love song. However, here in the Hebrew, it's not just teshuka, it's teshuka plus the word el. Teshuka plus el. That construction, teshuka el, is only used twice. And the two uses, number one, are here in Genesis 3.16. Now turn to Genesis 4. It's also used in Genesis 4.7. Genesis 4.7. And in Genesis 4.7 it says the following. If you do well. Now who's, who's speaking here? God is speaking. And to whom is he speaking? Do you recall? He's speaking to Cain. Okay, he's speaking to Cain. And Cain's not doing very well. In fact, Cain, uh, you know, he, he's, he's, not, he's really not doing well. And um, he's angry. His face fell. And he's about to kill his brother. So we can all agree that Cain, this isn't a good thing that's happening here. All right? Now look at the word teshuka'el. You tell me how it should be interpreted. Look at verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? God speaking to Cain. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire, Teshuka El, is for you. Now back to Genesis 3.16, part of the curse. Is the curse that the woman would have a desire for her husband in a good way? Mm-hmm. Some even say a sexual desire for her? Or is it that the woman, the curse is that the woman would have a desire against her husband? In fact, the idea there in, in Genesis 4.7 is sin is like a lion. It's going to come against you. It's going, to, it's going to oppose you. It wants to hurt you. There's an aggressiveness. There's a resistance. There's a desire to dominate. Very important point. I believe that in Genesis 3.16, that the curse, the curse, I would agree with the ESV study note, that it's against, and that the curse for the woman is that she will now have a hostile, aggressive desire to resist God, the, Adam's leadership. Now, remember, Adam's leadership's a good thing. Remember, God made it that way. It's a blessing. Good leadership is a blessing. It's a curse to rebel against good leaders. And you can say, Adam's not a good leader. Right. Well, that's the second half of the curse. We'll get to that in a moment. But do you see that, that, that male headship is a good thing, and then part of the curse for our dear wives is to resist it? Now, why do I say that? Because when your wife resists your leadership, don't be such a little woman and get all bent out of shape about it. You are being. You go, pout. Dude, 
the fall affected her this way. Can you have some compassion on her? And not make it about, she's just not respecting me. She's nagging me. She doesn't give me what I deserve. What you deserve is hell. (laughs) That's what you deserve. And your dear wife is weakened by sin. And we'll get to how you're weakened by sin. Can you have compassion for her and cry out to God, Jesus, help us. Because of the curse, suddenly a woman that would happily go with your leadership and receive blessing is now cursed that she wants to resist it. Now, now you maybe deserve her resisting it. But if you were the perfect leader, the perfect leader, she would resist you. That's the mark of sin on your dear wife. And that takes it out of a competition, me against her. And it puts it where it should be. The real enemy is sin and God. And the real Savior is Jesus. And the goal isn't that she respect me and obey everything I told her to do and celebrate my leadership. The goal is that she honor God. And so I'm going to help her. Instead of pouting and get all bent out of shape. Now having just said that, I did that last night with my wife. The, the bad part. So let me just, full disclosure, right? It was small. I got home dog tired. I, I looked worse than Gilbert looks right now. Okay? <laughs> this guy, he's, he's, he and I talk. He's had, he's had a rough week. I mean, his eyes are just bloodshot. The guy's been up. He's been working hard. We all have that, right, man? We live in a fallen world. There are some days that are good. I just got home. I, I didn't want to hear anything. Nothing. Zero, nada, zilch, as Corey said in the sermon. Nada, zilch, whatever. She starts, we're up in our bedroom, she starts asking me questions. Men, we all know how much we like to be asked questions. I know in two months. I mean, I... I missed that over here. He says he knows after two months already. To my, to my shame, do you know what I did? I pretended like I didn't hear her question. I know you guys have never done that, right? <laughs> you laughed or betrayed you back there, right? Selective hearing. Exactly. Exactly. Now, it was low grade. Um, you know, I, 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 feel, I feel stupid. But what was that? It, it was me reacting sinfully. And she wasn't even... She wasn't, she wasn't disrespecting me. She was just asking questions. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear it. So having said that, I'm a fellow sinner here. But what's my hope? What's my hope? My hope is that though she is tempted to resist my leadership, though she's tempted to aggressively want to rule or harshly rule, I can trust that Jesus came and died for that sin to redeem her. Now look at the second part of 16b. Not only will she be tempted to resist the man, my desire is for you or against you, your husband shall, and he shall rule over you. That word rule is mashal. Mashal. It can be used in a good way. God rules over his creation. Mashal. But it can also be used in a harsh way. And I believe if if you read the context, this is a curse. This isn't one of those benevolent rules. God is cursing 
man and woman. I hear woman. So I believe what this is, is that we men are cursed as well with a, an aggressive desire to rule over our wives in a dominating matter. We're going to win. We're going to rule by greater power, greater strength, superiority over an inferior. And the result is marital conflict that is as old as mankind. It didn't begin with your marriage, okay? It's continued with your marriage, but it didn't begin there. Grudem says this, prior to the fall, Adam and Eve were equal in God's sight, but there was a leadership role for God. After the fall, those roles were distorted. They weren't changed, they were distorted. They were cursed. Pain was introduced. For the woman, pain and childbearing. For the man, pain and providing. If you read in, in verse 17, the ground's going to be cursed. Our, our livelihoods are cursed, right? You have problems with banks that won't resolve themselves. You have crooked people. You have weeds that grow in your front. I mean, just name it. There's the curse. Sweaty your brow stuff. But their relationship was cursed. There was pain introduced in this beautiful relationship so that the woman aggressively resists the man's leadership and there's pain and the man aggressively tries to dominate the woman in harsh rule. Some of you do it by turning into lawyer mode. Some of you do it by screaming. Some of you do it by just going, going silent. You, you do the silent treatment. You go rogue. You disappear. You know, you're like one of these spies that just like... He goes. He just goes dark. All communication, bzz, nothing for days, weeks. There's war. There's sarcasm. I trust this is not going on. There can be physical intimidation. The peaceful relationship is cursed. It's shattered through the fall, through man's rebellion. The fall brought men and women in conflict with each other because they rebelled against God. And the roles were confused with the woman wanting to resist the man's leadership and the man wanting to dominate sinfully the woman. But here's the key. The purpose of God in history of redemption is to overcome the curse of the fall. Look where it started. Look what Jesus does. Point eight. Male headship in marriage is biblical. Why? Because of the restoration of the marriage. Look at Colossians 3, 18 and 19, please. Colossians 3, 18 and 19. Page 639. Colossians 3, 18 and 19. Wives... Submit to your husbands. No more Teshuka, ladies. No more Teshuka L. No more desire against. But wives, submit. He doesn't say that to make you feel like such a manly man because there's a woman submitting to you. It's not about you. He says it because it will bless her. Because by faith, you will be a godly man. As is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, Love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. No more mashal, guys. No more silent treatment. Or however you war in your family. Redemption in Christ restores the harmony of the created order, which includes male headship. Point nine. Is male headship biblical? Oh, yes, it is. The mystery itself teaches that. Point nine, the mystery itself teaches male headship in marriage. Why? Because we represent Christ and she represents the church. Christ is what? The head of the church. Let's go there. Let's read it again. Let's read that whole, let's read that whole chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. See, we have a leadership role, guys. We represent, we lead. We're last to bed, first up in the morning. We're last to eat. We sacrifice. We lay our lives down. We represent Christ. Single men, that doesn't come overnight. 
If you're not doing that at home with your parents, with your mother, any woman that you are dating or courting should legitimately question whether you're ready to be married or whether you're just still a little adolescent. Whether you're 19, 20, 29, 39, 49. Chronology has nothing to do with it. It's a heart issue. Am I still a little boy? Making sure everybody serves me. Mommy picks up after me. I get what I want. I'm a man. A man who lays my life down for people. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the what? The head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church's body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. No more mashal, men. Love them. This is how you exercise headship. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. Look what you're to do. What a privilege, man. We're to sanctify. We're to cleanse. We're to wash with the water of the word. Next, next month we're going to talk about how to do that. It's so important. It images Christ doing it to us so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, he might be, that she might be holy without blemish. Verse 28 of Ephesians 5. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. That's great logic. We all love our own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but what? Nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church because we are members of his body and now comes the mystery. Therefore, quoting now Genesis 2.24, man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it, that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let, okay, because that's true, look at verse 33. Let each of you love his wife as himself. Why? Because Christ and the church are being represented here. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Folks, the headship, it's characterized by love. It's not harsh. It's not mashal. It's not distant rule. It's loving. What I did last night was not this. Jesus forgives me. This is my wife. The reason I, I want to change is to preach the gospel. Point 10. Male headship in marriage is a biblical yes. It's parallel with the Trinity. Remember, men, that we were created in the image of God. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are equal in being and worth and value and everything in essence. They are to be worshipped as the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But they have different roles. Being equal, the Son submits to the Father. And the Spirit glorifies the Son and reveals Him to us. Alright, so what's the final teaching? Before I bring our, our special guest, surprise. Every month we're going to have a surprise guest. Right. Here it is. Here's where I'd boil it down to this, guys. And I believe this might be in your application. I'm, I'm not sure. I think this is now under application. We must understand who we are as men and who our, our wives are as women. Okay. Now I'm going to tell a joke. The joke illustrates what is not true, but it does it well. Let's see if I can tell the joke well. There, there is, I'm on this point of understanding our wives and, 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 and serving her in marriage. So a guy has an argument with his wife. He's walking on the beach. He happens to be living in Southern California. He's kicking around. He finds this genie lamp. He kicks it. Boom, big genie comes out. Scares the guy. And he says, all right, bud, you got one wish. 
one way. She goes, man, he goes, look, I just got a real big fight with my wife. I do love her. She loves Hawaii. You can't afford to fly. He's built like a bridge from here to Hawaii. He says, dude, that's really hard. That might be the hardest thing I've ever been asked to do. I don't know. Listen, anything else, anything else. Look, just, is there something else? He said, okay, I'll tell you what. Let's just solve it right. Just, Jeannie, my wish is that I would understand my wife perfectly. And the genie says, would you like that two-lane or four-lane? <laughs> now, that's a lie. That's a lie. It was funny, and laughter betrayed, right? Because can we ever, can we ever understand our wives? Here's the deal, guys. This is the last scripture. Turn to 1 Peter 3, 7. 1 Peter 3, 7. So against the backdrop of that joke, which we all laughed at, which betrayed us a bit. 1 Peter 3, 7. Look what it says. Look what it says, my friends, in 1 Peter 3, 7. Sobering passage, wonderful passage. He's just finished giving our wives instruction for six verses. Verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Look at the end of verse 7. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Could it be that the prayers in our church, in my church, my home, in your home, are hindered because we're not obeying this? We're not asking God for graces. We take it personally. It becomes a war. It becomes a competition. I'm going to be right. I better get respect. And God is saying, live with them in an understanding way. We must combat this lie and believe that God is able to... to Part of redemption is that He will enable us to live with them in an understanding way. I, I was having a talk with my son a couple of nights ago, and um, we were just we were just hanging out, uh, and the topic got on to just relating to women, and I just you know we we're just talking about different things, and I just said I said son. Look, I've been married 26 years. I should know more. But one thing that I do know is this. For many women, and perhaps this is just Desi, but I think for many women, uh, for them, son, when a woman repeats herself again and again, it's often she simply wants to communicate to us that this topic is really important to her. She's not nagging you necessarily. But she, to hear that as, hey, this is really important. Let me pay attention. Now, that's a small thing. But, but it's that kind of thing that honors the Lord when we pay attention and try to learn. <coughs> try to learn. Try to learn. So, I just want to uh, ask you a question. Are you, are you guys doing that? And if you're not married yet, this is, I would say, your mom. If you have sisters, your sisters. Other sisters in the church in an appropriate way. But if you're married, are you praying for this? Do you have faith for it? Okay. Well, I want to introduce our special guest who is going to help us understand that. And that is my wife. So can you welcome Desi? Yeah. Great woman. It's, it's intimidating. I'm, I'm used to being in a basket. 
Guys, can you do me a favor? Can you, one of you, let Desi have your chair? That way she can see. Yeah, no. Yeah. All right, so uh, what, what we're going to do each month is I've, I've asked each of our special guests to prepare some questions, okay? And then I'm going to kind of augment the questions. So in each of the next couple of months that we're going to be meeting, uh, the topics will be different. We're going to have a special guest. I won't tell you who that is tonight when we get there. And then I'm going to ask that guest to give me some questions. So these are questions that my sweet wife gave me, knowing that I was going to be talking about this. Okay, so I'm just going to interview her. All right. All right, sweetie. With regards to creation order and Ephesians 5, how can a husband become a good leader? In other words, the Bible teaches him he's the head of the household. How can he become a good leader? Well, when I was thinking about um, the word head, obviously your head is up here, that's where your brains are, that's where you make the decisions, and that's what you all are as the head of the home. But the head also receives all the information from the nerves and everything else below the head, which is what the wives are. And so I guess my first suggestion would be to listen, to gather information as much as you can, because what that does is it obviously gives you more information than what you already have by yourself, but it also allows the wife to feel at peace that she is contributing to that. Because she's, for example, if you have children, she's with the kids all day long, and you're out at work, you come home, you're making a decision about the kids, but you haven't received her input yet. And that can be uh, a little concerning for her because she, she doesn't feel like you have the full story. So I guess, again, just receiving information as a head, but then also knowing that as a head you're going to, then tell the body what to do. So once you do make a decision, don't lose that final step of expressing to your wife, okay, what is the decision that, that you've made? So receiving from her, I think, would be one way to be a good head, but then also telling her what decision that you've come up with so that she can receive it and, and actually act upon it. Um, God gave you a helper because you need help. And so uh, as we're having this conversation, Desi and I, you guys get to listen in. Um, thanks for being my help. Alright, so Des, if I were to ask you, you would answer this for me. How can a husband help his wife become a better helper? So we, you know, right. how would you say that? How would you tell me that? Right. Well, as a helper, I'm going to orient my life around you because you're the one I'm helping. Mm -hmm. And so I need to know what direction you're going. I need to know what you want done. I need to know what you prefer. So I can accommodate that. And so if you're not sharing that with me, uh, it's kind of like I have all this, I'm a helper, so I want to help. I have all this energy, I have a desire, and yet if it's not even direction, then that's where I'm going to maybe go out of my bounds because I'm going to do something. You, you mean, Desi, like like what we used to do when we did the finances? <laughs> <laughs> you can be honest, you know, this is amongst my best friends here. Okay. Like, be more specific, I'm not uh, sure. The years where I didn't give you enough information and help you, help me with finances. And so I just took over. Well, no, and then I took <laughs> over. <laughs> it's kind of back and forth. Yes. We've done that back and forth. Until the smoothies help us. Yeah. And by it's the true. way, I just I would say that when I can still remember the marriage retreat uh, that we were on, Desi and I were having a conversation. We were not smiling during this conversation. <laughs> we happened to be in the presence of uh, Corey and Cindy. And, uh, yeah, I think I think the thing I want them to hear is that I. 
I often didn't give you the information you needed to help me, which then frustrated you, right? Right. Especially in my area. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think this would be huge. Uh, one of the major areas for, for women with children would be the children. So um, I had a, a picture that I thought might be useful is that imagine a, a, a burning um, building on fire, and you as a husband are the firefighter. You're going into the building, you're climbing up, you're getting people you want to rescue them, and you're going to throw them out to the wife who's down on the ground with one of those catcher things. I don't want to call them, want to call them trampolines, but you know what I mean. If you don't communicate, what side of the building are you are, are you going to have the people come out of? What, what floor are you on? She's going to get kind of panicked, right? Because she's trying to help you, and she doesn't know where you're supposed to be. And that's just going to catapult even more when she realizes that inside the building are her children. So when you're making questions about children and you're not communicating to your wife, she's going to run into the building and she's going to help you out because that's her babies. So of all the things we've disagreed on and argued and so forth, a lot of it would have to do with the children and the decisions made or not made based on, on that. So Maybe yeah. it doesn't feel like a conversation if I'm standing in public. It's okay. Can I just turn a little bit and face Sure. Personal if I'm listening on that kind of okay. So communicating. Yeah, let, let me know how I can help you. Because if not, I'm going to help somewhere. I'm going to go look for something. To do. Well, it helps better if I know. What would you say? Uh, what would you say? What would you say turned the tide in our communication with the finances? Hmm. I would say. Um, because I would say that would be one of the major areas where I was not, I was not helping you to be a helper, right? I was either trying to do it all and, and without any input from you. Yeah, I think I think we swung the pendulum because you know the first part of our marriage I did the finances and then the second part he did, but it was almost like an all or nothing. So we weren't communicating um, between us. So it was like all hands on or all hands off, and so that's hard when you're. Uh, purchasing things or wanting to save money or you know, whatever the case may be. It, it brought me comfort to know that he was saving money. And so if I didn't know that, then I'm getting a little antsy about what And I think, I think, I think in my pride, I, re I resented you asking me questions. Right. I think you received my questions as accusations that you weren't doing a good job instead of, I just want to know, because that would bring me peace. being a little baby. Comfort. <laughs> All right, baby. How can I live with a better understanding of you, my wife? Well, I know this. You were answering that I keep, question. I keep me. feeling I was saying the same thing, and that has to do with communication. Um, by asking me questions, um, finding out about me, finding out about how I process things, um, simple things like asking about my day, because then you can figure out how I handled my day, and you can you know, come and, and support and. Um, I think, the, I think the two extremes are, 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 are apathy, not asking at all, mm. or harshness, where there's kind of an impatience there. And those kind of are going to, in one sense, the harshness, I think, is going to just shut the wife down completely. And she's just going to be like, like having walls everywhere. Mm. And on the other extreme, not asking at all um, is going to make her feel not cared for. Mm -hmm. so, I think so, so in our relationship... Uh, apathy would be silence, like pretending I didn't hear you asking a question. Sports center. <laughs> Sports center. Ouch! Heresy! Computers. Harshness would be what? It's good for them to hear. Harshness. Yeah, I'm just trying to have our. Hmm. 
been harsh, maybe impatient? Impatient. I think that is harshness okay. for me. So snapping back at you if you were to ask a question. I mean, just uh, just a, putting out a vibe. I don't want to talk about it. Kind of we used to have some wars around fin- about finances, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember them, so. Yeah, they're not that far back. <laughs> All right, um, so Des, um, if I feel like maybe you are not, um, you know, submitting, I feel like you're trying to rule in an area, how would you counsel me? If I'm, if I'm your husband, I'm trying to learn about you. You're setting, you're setting yourself up to be cared for when you're doing something that, as we learned tonight, the curse, sadly... You know, you're resisting my leadership. Right. What's helpful to help you in that moment? As if you're telling me right now. Okay. Um, well, I think it's helpful to ask yourself why I might want to be ruling. Because Say that again? Ask yourself why I might want to be ruling. Like, is there so words, I should ask myself why you're trying to why first, you're trying to rule. I think so. Okay. I mean, first I would say don't take it personally as your first reaction because as a helper, I might just be really thinking that my way is right, just okay. as strongly as you might be feeling your way is right. Okay. So to just realize, okay, we've got two people here both seeing things from a different perspective, not get offended, not shut down. Um, you know, am I going overboard because there's a lack of leadership, you know, on your part? that's not the case, then I think it's, it's a good idea to just confront in the sense of saying, sweetie, I want to lead, but you're making it really difficult. And I know you want to honor God by honoring me. So don't be afraid to share your wife those words because most of your wives do want to honor the Lord and they don't realize they're getting you know, beyond, you know, in their excitement. They don't realize that they're pushing and pushing and pushing. And, and you, I would just remind them, I want to lead you, but you're being you know, a little resistant. Yeah, I, I, think, I think in the past I would, I would See, two things that I've done that haven't been helpful. Either be apathetic because it's an area like finances where I think I don't do a good job. I'm almost embarrassed about it, so I avoid it, which then there's nothing there for you to help me with, right. and you can be tempted to want to take over. Right. Um, yeah. Or um, take it personally and uh, be harsh. Like, I'm going to win this argument. Because it's not, I mean, it's kind of like with, with my kids, if I'm, if I take things personally, then I'm, I shut down or I don't, I think it's about me instead of, no, it's about God. So I want to train them to respect me because as they're respecting me, they're ultimately respecting God. So with your wives, in a sense, it's the same way. You're, you're helping them to serve the Lord as they respect you. So shutting down is not, it's not helpful. I mean, obviously do it patiently and graciously, but some needs to be done, I think. I know, I know something that has helped me in our worst moments is to realize that Christ came. Uh, he called me, Romans 8, 28 to 30, to conform me. God called me to conform me to the image of Christ. Christ is the perfect leader, the perfect head of the bodies. You know, I, I am to image him. And he's committed to changing me into that. And he's committed to changing you to image God in the sense of the submission as the body. So I think, I think that... That helps. I mean, I'm, I'm still answering what to do. What to do when a wife perhaps is trying to rule or not submitting? There's faith. So I think it's helpful for a wife to. I mean, this is helping me with you. Is there are times when we would disagree and we'd be back and forth and back and forth. Um, and a lot of times I would say, okay, explain to me again like, why you think this is a good idea. <laughs> no, seriously, because yeah, maybe it was just like not clear because he just 
he knows what's going on. He's got it all figured out, but he's told me like this much of it. So I'm going, that doesn't make sense to me. And so then when he stops and he elaborates on, well, honey, it's because this, this, and this. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm, not, I'm there. Yeah. You know. And so sometimes it's taking yeah. time to explain your point of view a little more broadly. And sadly, because of my pride at times, I felt like, look, I know. Right. Why are you asking me? Yeah, that's, that's my bad. Because, I mean, Christ doesn't treat us that way. I think that's where that impatience comes in. Last question. Christ loved the church by laying down his life. This. How can I best love you, spiritually speaking? What, what, what's important to you in this area of spiritual leadership? So not, I had to write it down because it, I feel like uh, it would be helpful if I just read this part. Um, I have here, um, leading spiritually provides a lot of security for the wife, and it is very attractive as well. Men carry an authority that the wife cannot. Whether with her own life or with the life of her kids, she desperately desires for her husband to rise up and be involved in the spiritual atmosphere of the home. Even if it's just asking about everyone's day, bringing input, and then praying for them, that would be a huge, huge blessing. So it's not like a she needs necessarily big theological teaching as much as that, you, that you're caring by asking and then, you know, God has gifted you to lead, so even if you aren't giving chapter and verse, you know it. You know the scriptures internally, and you might word it in a whole different way, but it's still it's still leading, and it's still difficult. Well, guys, I want to I end with this, and then there's going to be some time for Q&A. Um, number one, before you can lead your... Next month, we're going to talk about leading your wife spiritually and um, your kids. How did, we're going to get very practical. It's going to be a little more practical, less teaching time, more practical, more discussion. But first, you have to lead yourself to the Lord. You can't lead your wife if you're not leading yourself. Um, to that end, I've got two resources here, um, and I'll email you both of these documents. One is a... Bible reading plan from the ESV Study Bible. I've got about 10 copies here. I can email this to you. You can have it electronically. This is what I personally use. And the other one is, we had been using this. We have not done it as much recently, but it's a Bible memorization plan. It's from 2009, but it's it's one verse per week. Um, I can email you that. There's also uh, Desiring God Ministries has fighter verses. Um, I'm not talking about legalistically trying to earn God's favor. I'm just talking about leading, responding to God's grace, that we're first leading ourselves to the Lord. Um, Let me tell you this. A wife loves to see her husband reading the Bible and praying. I can think of no better way to provide security for your wife than her watching you practice the spiritual discipline. Not to get her favor, not to impress her, but because you love God. Women get really secure when they see husbands doing that. And when they don't ever see you doing it, you know what they feel like? They feel like they're in your car, driving down a country road with no lights on, bumpy, windy country road with big trees everywhere, doing 100 miles an hour with no lights on, and they're in the passenger seat. You know, they're just like, what is he doing? And it's just, and, and, and then, so we shouldn't be surprised when they maybe talk to us with some, with some intensity. Hey, you're not respecting me. Yeah, we're doing a hundred with no lights on in the country road. Well, you should just trust God. (laughs) That's true. Technically, you're right. Technically, you're right. But man, let's not be hypocrites, guys. If you were in the passenger seat, what would you be doing? 
I'd be clubbing you to death. <laughs> so, and so, turn the lights on, slow down. I do. Let's seek the Lord. Okay. All right. We've got about 15 minutes. My goal is to get us out by 9. Um, got about 15 minutes. In case you, you're wondering, I'm going to start at 7.30. No one's here. I'm going to start. Because okay. you know what? You know what I believe? I believe it honors people when you're on time. Where the dolphin kicked off of the gators, baby, I'd be like, once a month, I'd get out early. All right. Um, so I'm going to start at 7.30, and we're going to be done at 9. All right. So you have about 15 minutes of questions. Any questions at all? Yes. Yes. Um, uh, I know several friends, couples, that um, perhaps the wife may have a, a, an education in accounting, or she's just better at finance than the husband. Um, so in, in, in one of those situations, uh, what uh, do you think that that it's okay to you know for the wife to, to take control of the finances? And if so, what balance you know can be strike you know to still um, the husband be the leader and yeah. so forth? You know, and the wife. Yeah. Well, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to start with scripture, and there's just nothing in scripture that mandates who does the finances. So I, I, let me just start with that. So everybody's going to be different. And I know godly men that do it both ways. Uh, but it does mandate that I'm the head of the household. Uh, next month, we're going to talk about that. I do believe that the responsibility does lie on us. Okay, so what does that look like? I've seen some guys, lots of guys, the wife does it, but he is checking. You know, he, he is responsible. You know, so if she runs up a $10,000 whatever or doesn't pay some things, ultimately it's our responsibility. I do think that's biblical. I do. I see that from, I mean, God spoke to Adam. You know? Was that a special, redemptive, historical setting because he's sort of the head of all humanity? Maybe, but I, I think... When, you, when, you, when it peels into the New Testament and Paul's talking the way he's talking. So hopefully that answers your question and releases your conscience. You know, I mean, if, if your wife just knocks him dead with finances, have at it, bro. Nothing in the Bible talks about that. But, but there is a difference between the way you ask the question, is it all right for her to take over? Mm-hmm. There's a difference between that and the godly husband recognizing her gift, saying, honey, will you do this? Because really, I mean, there, there are lots of ways in which our, our wives may be much more gifted on a lot of things than they are. Yeah. When it's a takeover, yeah. that does become a problem because even though the task itself may be done better, right. the relationship is hurt. Yeah. And so we need to have the humility to recognize where our wives do something better than we do. Right. And then the wisdom to say, therefore, darling, go for it. Go yeah. for it. Do this. But it's an act of leadership is what Cal's right. saying. And I like that, Cal. I think that's, I, the Bible does talk about headship and, in, that, in that sense. Know, and then, too, build on what you said about the fact that ultimately I, as the husband, am responsible. Mm-hmm. If neither one of us is very good at it, mm-hmm. I'm responsible to get good at it. There you go. Mm-hmm. Or figure out some way to get someone in there that's good at it. <laughs> it's called financial advisor. Eddie. In my aspect, Ed. 
Um, Wendy is better at it, mm -hmm. but she doesn't want to do it because mm -hmm. she's got so much already on her plate. Mm -hmm. So I take it over. Cool. So it's called servanthood. You know, yeah. You got both ends of that camp. Yeah, guys, you realize Scripture does not speak to this, so we cannot speak to it in that detail. But it does talk about headship. Not abdicating, which is what Cal's bringing. You know, I'm not just letting her. You know, what I'm saying just, just not even leading. We got to lead. Yeah. I'll you, I, okay. You can, uh, I just want to make sure other people can ask questions. But go ahead and respond. I'm just, just going to say that I would also like to take heed in, in saying that um, if you, if, if your, if your wife is doing it, you know that it's dangerous and not caring about it too. You know, exactly. You see your leadership in that sense. Exactly. She's got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's up till three in the morning pacing because there's not enough money, and you're like watching sports and going, "Hey, I'm sure glad she's doing finances." That would be that would be what he's talking about. Yes. This question is kind of for both of you, but Desi, I'd really like to hear just kind of your perspective on this. As men, when we get defensive, it causes you to shut down. As women. Uh, almost instantly, and so it can start this cycle of, of pride and defensiveness and closing down. Um, it's one thing to kind of deal with it as a man and talk to the men and talk to each other about not being defensive, but as husbands, what can we do to serve our wives to uh, to give them the benefit of the doubt when they bring us information, when they bring us direction or uh, sometimes correction uh, to us? How can we how can we learn to respond to that without getting upset that she wants to save and I want to save this and all you know little things to big things? Well, I think just I think I mentioned it before that that we are given to you to help, and so just be mindful that that's our role. That's what we're created to do. That's I mean, regardless of whether we rule and go too far or whatever. Our, Within our makeup is to orient ourselves to you, to help you, to serve you. So we're we're data dumping all the time because that's what we feel like. That's our role. So I guess just to be, again, just renewing your mind that this is her role. This is what I mean. Obviously, she needs to do it respectfully. She needs to do it humbly. She doesn't need to nag. But there's an element of this is what we're created to do is to give you advice when we when we feel like it might be needed. Yeah, it's interesting. It's what they're created to do, but it's what the fall affected perhaps the most. So, so we need to be tender with them and realize, you know, that. And then, secondly, um, I just, I just thought it's cruel to tell a woman to submit and orient herself to her husband, and then her husband won't ever tell her where he's at. Now, physically, we know where we're at, right? But you see what I'm talking about? I mean. She's built to orient herself to you, but if you won't communicate to her because of your pride or your laziness, it's going to frustrate the heck out of her. Because she's made to orient herself to you, but she doesn't, like she said, the burning building. Where, where is he? What's he doing? What, I, she's not nagging. She's not trying to rule you. You know, it's like, come on, man. Be a man. She's just trying to orient herself to you, but she needs info. She's not trying to run your life. She's just asking. Even if she is trying to run your life, it's better to think the former and let God deal with her if she is. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I think I think that's a that's a great that's a great that's a great question. Okay, got maybe time for one or two questions. Someone who hasn't asked a question. Yes, I Caesar. Ask for some advice. Some advice. Um, in the next 
weaker, so my wife's gonna stop working. So she, I'm an accountant, so I do finances at home. But she wants to help me do the finances. Um, and I am just like you, like when she, you know, when she asked me just for the password to the account, like, well, what am I get defensive? You know, sure. I don't know what else, my finance questions. So Why'd you say like, just like me? Caesar. Just sign your <laughs> <laughs> We're an accountant. You can fix it. Eric. Yeah, Eric wants to respond. I, too, have been trained in the military in terms of leadership. And one of the things that a good leader does is he allows his followers to fail. Sometimes they will. And you just have to be gracious enough to allow them to learn from that experience. Caesar, that's a fantastic question. Uh, perhaps a little deeper and more specific than this context would allow for. I'm trying to list, look for a broad sort of principial issue to comment on, and I certainly would not uh, reject your help at all, Corey, if you had something right now. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> You've been sitting there. I know you're thinking a lot. Maybe it's about yeah. whatever, but... I just want to draw her out as to why does she want to I mean. Obviously, Caesar is qualified in that sense. What would be the desire? Just to understand my wife, the desire to be involved and sure. just draw her out as without sure. implicating her, any motive there that would be unrighteous. Just yeah. to understand yeah. what it is. Maybe there's a fear there, sure. you know, and that would be a wonderful conversation to have. Caesar, you know, what, what's behind that? Maybe it's lacking control. Good. Okay, let's talk about it. We can address her heart in that area right. before I would come up with any agreement. Who does what? Sure. Oh, what's behind that? Yeah. And and I'm, we're wide open. I know Tim is here, your home group leader. I'm, we're, we're, please, you know, uh, I, I kind of um, oversee Tim's group. So if you and Tim want to get together and then maybe we can craft something that... These are, these are very specific for you. But I just want to say... Again, Scripture doesn't talk about who does the finances. I'm going to be very careful about that, okay? You have to be really careful here not to be legalistic in this. But it does give the principle that we lead. Like Cal was saying, we don't abdicate. We don't just say, you know, or she doesn't just take it. It doesn't sound like either of that's happening here. So I think you're good. Now, how you work it out, yeah. Ask tons of questions. I love that. It's, it's going to be so individual for each one. There's no cookie cutter here. That's the joy of your leadership. <laughs> All right, guys. Probably one more question, and then we can go. I just want to make a comment. Yeah. I think you can summarize this as many of the questions are speaking about leading and understanding. So I think the focus needs to be in getting to know your wife. You've mm. been with your wife for many years, mm-hmm. and you don't know her. Mm-hmm. I think drawing her out, understanding what the struggles are, understanding mm-hmm. how she is communicating and mm-hmm. what's there mm-hmm. will help us understand and lead them better. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, communication mm-hmm. and then lead them in wisdom mm-hmm. and, and lead. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of things that are being said are just specifically 
not knowing them, not taking the time mm -hmm. to get to know them, mm -hmm. to learn them. Mm -hmm. We haven't gone to school mm -hmm. there. It's good. it's good, bro. And it's a command in First Peter 3. And the cool thing with that command is since he commands us, he's going to help us. Man, I want to pray for you and bless you tonight. Uh, I never want you to leave from a meeting that I would leave or anybody at home but would leave feeling beat up, feeling like it's just a bunch of stuff you have to do, uh, rather than feeling the grace of God and excited that God's restoring me back to what He created me to be. So I'm going to pray for you right now that God give you that, that you be more aware of God's strength, God's ability, the glory that God wants to lead us to uh, in Christ. But now and forevermore, rather than more aware of your deficiencies and discouragement. So Lord, I pray for each man in this room. I'm aware there are some marriages here that are just delightful. They're, they're glorious. Uh, it's wonderful. And I, I'm aware there's marriages here where, where guys are hanging on, man. They're hanging on. The joy is simply not there. And most of the marriages are in between. So Lord, would you please give my friends now your joy. As Corey taught from Scripture in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, that we would not be anxious. <coughs> Whatever thought you have right now, friend, just give it to the Lord. Don't waste your anxiety. Don't waste your, your, your fighting in your mind with whatever it might be in your marriage. But, 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 but pray. God, we pray. We're your sons. We're your image bearers. We do it poorly at times. We've got the promise that you called us to conform us into the image of Christ. Wow. So I pray there'd be a tangible sense of that for every man in this room. For those that are listening to this tape or this digital recording. Later. Jesus, oh Lord, hear our prayer. Father, we pray in the name of your Son. Help us. Help us to humble ourselves before our wives. Help us to ask them, how are we doing this? I put in the application questions. Help us, God, to lead ourselves to you. You've led us. Help us to respond now. To wake up tomorrow morning hungry for you. Even laying in bed saying, oh Lord, give me the desire. Help me to get up and seek your face. Read your word. Pray. Worship. Oh God, build your church. Build the, the homes in this room. That we might glorify you and image you. I pray, oh God, please deliver us from the evil, from the lies of the enemy, the lies of the world. Deliver us, dear God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.